0: The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. morning even though it's not leviticus it's still the word of god so let's give our attention now to god speaking to us in his word john 13 beginning in verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what i have done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so i am I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Well, this concludes the reading of God's Word. May God now be pleased to add His blessing to it. Well, it is common in our society to work for a higher position, advancement, a higher status, greater opportunity. We do this in our jobs. We seek to work up our, work our way up the ladder as it were. This happens in the military, in law enforcement, going from officer to sergeant, lieutenant, captain, so forth and so on. In fact, uh, in the former department I worked at in Omaha as a dispatcher, it was seen as a sign of laziness if you were not pursuing advancement. In fact, there was a a saying that they would have for those who did not uh, pursue advancement. It was called being a loser and a cruiser. They have that in Pal. No, okay, just Omaha. <laughs> in sports, uh, teams strive to advance to the playoffs and to win championships and trophies and medals. I mean, that's that's what they're going after. If they just said, "No, we just want to keep being status quo," there would be something wrong with that team, wouldn't there? And so, it's not inherently bad to seek these things. It's common to seek improvement and advancement. However, within the church, it's different. We do not seek honor. We do not seek positions, as it were. Jesus told his disciples in the other gospel accounts, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all And in our passage today, this is exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. However, this does not come natural to us in our pride, does it? According to our fallen nature, we want to be first place. We desire to be above others. We are self-centered. And in our flesh, we seek to please ourselves. Children, let me just address all of you in here for a moment do you often seek to bless others is this something that you are eager about more eager than getting dessert or getting a treat or getting a prize do you if you miss out on a chance to get a treat or a gift And you get sad. Do you get as sad as if you missed out on an opportunity to bless somebody? So you didn't get a slice of cake. And your siblings did. You would be pretty sad, wouldn't you? But if you missed out on an opportunity to give your cake to somebody, would you be just as sad as if not getting a slice of cake? You get just as sad as an opportunity to help somebody out as you would to get a gift. If you get more sad that you didn't get a gift than not helping somebody else out, you know what that's called? Selfishness, sin. And that's what exists in all of us. It seems so common that it seems like this can't be true, but that's true. But if you are a Christian, It's not that you're a Christian because you got the right answer. You got baptized. You get the food afterwards. You're in Sunday school and you give the right answer. Rather, if you are a Christian, you are going to show that in wanting to love and serve others more and more, even than wanting to receive for yourself. And, of course, even us adults don't do this well. And so that's why we need some motivations to help us out Four motivations to humbly serve one another is what we're looking at today. And the first motivation is Christ's finished work, Christ finished work. That is the top motivation, the primary motivation. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, of course, they understood that he had washed their feet. But rather what Christ is asking is, do you understand the spiritual significance behind what I have done for you? As we saw last week, this was a sign and symbol of what Christ would do in a greater humiliating work. In not just washing their feet, but stooping so low as to wash away their sins by dying On the cross. Christ setting aside his outer garments, leaving this place at the dinner table, which would be a place of honor, and putting on, dressing to serve them, is a picture and a sign. It's symbolic of this work that he would do in setting aside his glory, as it were. Of course, not intrinsically, he's merely veiling it. He doesn't cease to be God. But Dressing himself in our flesh in order to serve us, leaving his place of honor, as it were, coming down to earth in order to serve us in a humiliating way on the cross. And so that question that he asked his disciples there at the dinner table, do you understand what I have done to you? It's a question for us. In fact, Christ asked that question first before he just went on to tell them, now serve one another in this way. He first pauses and says, do you understand what I have done for you? Because we need to understand what Christ has done for us in serving us, in having served us in a humiliating way on the cross before we be, can begin to serve one another. See, it is understanding what Christ has done for us, knowing this deep within our hearts, believing that He did this for us even though we were undeserving wretches who hated Him by nature. But it's understanding His love for us in humbling Himself. It's knowing that deep within, not just knowing it in our head, but knowing it in our heart that we begin to reflect that same love towards others. Our motivation for doing good Christian things is not out of a guilty conscience to make up for sinful behavior. Neither is our motivation to serve, to, to feel good about ourselves, to feel like we are good, righteous Christians to keep a list of rules, to have confidence that we are, in fact, righteous. Neither is serving out of a Messiah complex. I need to save the day. Where would people be without me? But the motivation for serving others in humility stems from knowing that the Lord Most High stooped down to be our servant in order to rescue us from our sin. And that he would even go to the length of being hung naked, shamed on a cross, bearing our shame, bearing the mocking that we deserve, facing the wrath of Almighty God, having hell poured out on him, that he did that for us. That is when, that is when we are motivated to serve and love Others, rather than just wanting to be righteous, do the right thing, be recognized, be seen as a good Christian, feel righteous in ourselves, doing it out of duty because I don't want to feel guilty. No, it's done. When we understand this question, do you understand what I have done for you? A second motivation to humbly serve one another. You seen first, Christ finished work. Second. Christ's example verses 13 through 15 says you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you so Christ is a teacher. Now, a teacher or a rabbi back in that day was a place of high honor. And the student was to honor the rabbi. And it wasn't just a word of appreciation or saying a thank you. Rather, in that day, to honor the rabbi was to render all services to his teacher, except for one. Can you guess which one? That was washing feet. And so here we have the teacher, the greatest teacher there ever was. Reverse roles, as it were. And do the one thing that not even a student was required to do and wash his disciples. Feet. He is their Lord. It's a term for master. In Christ's case, it means more than a master, but he is at least that. And a master owned slaves. The master had every right to command his slaves and tell them what to do. But here we see the master do the one work that a Jewish slave was prevented from doing. And that is washing feet. Only Gentile slaves would do that. And Christ did this as master. For his own and more than that he is the Lord of the universe by whom and for whom all things were made and he stooped so low as to not merely wash feet but to be hung on a cross and this humility that our Lord expressed is the example for us to follow if Christ is truly high and exalted And he's infinitely important, and he humbled himself to such length. Then how much more should we? And it's not only that we get busy doing Christian things, because this could be done out of pride, it could be done out of self-righteousness, it could be done in order to feel like a good person, or to receive recognition. Rather, we follow Christ's example even in our thinking. In genuinely thinking of ourselves lower than others. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2, when he says, in light of Christ's humility, do not do or do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, that is, think of others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interest of others. Not only are we to think about others' needs, they're actually to be more important than our own. And Christ continues in verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so Christ here is giving two proverbial statements that would be not disputed. A servant or a slave is greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And what Christ is saying here is, you are my servants, you are my messengers, therefore you are not greater than I am, but yet I, the one who is greater than you, has stooped down to serve you, therefore you should follow my example. And notice that following Christ's example involves not expecting anything in return. Again, verse 14 If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Notice he doesn't say, if I washed your feet, you ought to wash my feet. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. But he doesn't say that. Rather, he says, take what I have done to you and do this for others. Do this for my body. It's not that the only act we do is, is to literally wash feet. I know some have taken this literally and said, and even have foot washing as part of the, this, the ceremony uh, of the church because they say this is the only thing you do because it says literally here, wash feet, therefore we do it. But rather, this is a metonym for doing all humble service for others when we humbly serve others, pleasing them rather than ourselves, counting others more important than ourselves, we do so without expecting anything in return. In fact, I think it's a good litmus test to know whether or not we're doing service uh, out of a good motive. Uh, if we get angry or bitter after doing something for someone and they don't treat us the way we think that they should treat us, then we are doing it for ourselves. We're doing it in order to receive love. We're expecting something in return. How dare you not love me back? You should be loving me. It's about me. Now, it is right to address being mistreated, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. But what I'm focusing in here on is the heart motive. the heart motive, if we are doing good works in order to be recognized, to affirm our goodness, to expect something in return, or if we lose motivation to serve an individual, start to withdraw from them because, look, they're not performing well enough. They're not loving me the way I think they should. So I'm going to withdraw from them until they get... Their act together. I'm not going to love them until they first love me. I'm going to hold that against them. Then we are not serving the way Christ has called us to serve. We are still self focused. Or when we just point out problems and complain, assume the worst about others rather than being gracious and encouraging, covering a multitude of sins, being burden creators rather than burden bearers, it reveals that we are not living according to the heart that Christ commands us here. We are to follow Christ's example by humbly serving others in a way that we benefit them for their good without expecting anything in return. And it's actually a blessing for us. This is actually how we're happy and blessed. And this brings us to the third motivation to humbly serve one another. And that is Christ's promised blessing. That is, Christ himself promises that we will be blessed. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice Christ does not say, if you know these things, you are blessed. We just all learned it now, unless you were dozing off. I see some of you dozing off. I just saw your eyes open. It's a good way to get people to wake up. It's it's funny to see the the heads do this to when I when I say it. <laughs> I forget where I was now. Oh, here we are. Uh, he doesn't say bless if you know these things. He says you are blessed if you do them. While you have to know these truths before you can do them, knowledge obviously precedes action. Yet in not, uh, yet it is not merely in knowing them by which you are blessed, but in doing them. Christ promises that you will be blessed when you do not live to please yourself, but live to please and serve others, wanting to bless them. But we tend to believe the opposite, don't we? Our hearts don't typically believe Christ when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. To put it in a way for you children. It's more blessed if you had the option between having a slice of cake or a cookie. It's more blessed to miss out on that. To go help your friend or siblings with the chores. That's what Christ says. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe that? If we believe this, then we would be sad or missing out on an opportunity to serve rather than missing out on dessert. Or if I am going to give, it's only for me to receive, either to be paid back or maybe this person will give me what I've want them to give me, or recognize my goodness, or we need to avoid serving others as much as possible because, you know, it gets in the way of everything I want to do. You know, I got all this other stuff to do. Not to say that we give up everything, but man, I just want to live for myself is the issue. Or we think that the reason we are not happy in our relationships is because the other person is not serving me. I would be happy. I would be blessed if only I was receiving more rather than turning from my own sin and giving. But Christ is wiser than us and when he says that we will be blessed in doing these things, we can trust that he is surely right. Now, what does Christ mean by blessing here? He doesn't mean that all your wildest dreams are going to come true and you can have all the idols you ever wanted in your life. No, to say blessed is another way of saying happy. You will be happy. You will be satisfied. And We all want to be happy, don't we? I don't know how I, I don't know about you. I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be depressed. I want to be happy. How do we become happy? If I get everything I want, right? No, it's in serving. Blessed, happy are you, If you do these things, and if you think about it for a moment, uh, selfishness and thinking highly of oneself doesn't really make one happy. Uh, Selfish people who live to serve themselves and try to get as much pleasure out of this life uh, typically do not live happy lives. There are many examples of celebrities who now have the money and the power to, to get whatever they wanted. They had fame. They had money. They had big houses. They, they, they were able to buy whatever they wanted and yet are still depressed and even suicidal. I think about the actor Robin Williams, for example. I think of Tom Brady, who won many Super Bowls, has this wonderful life, at least from the outside, has a beautiful wife, a big house in Montana, and yet said in an interview that he still feels empty. Here in America, we are by far the, the wealthiest and richest country that's ever existed in the history of the world. We have things that we take for granted that most of the world throughout its history did not have. In plumbing, electricity, central heating and air, at least some of us have central air, television, computers, mobile devices, Internet. Internet. Like the, the, the old side of me wants to say it to you kids, back in, back in my day, I couldn't Google anything; had to look it up in the library. We have all these amazing things, and yet there are more people on antidepressants than any time in history. How can that be? We got all this stuff. We got this comfortable life. Uh, the, the number of people that aren't antidepressants doubled from 1999 to 2012, even though some amazing technological advances for our comforts were made. And I know there's a complexity here that uh, that I, I don't want to get into with regards to <laughs> drugs and medicine. The only point I'm making is this. You think people would be happier with more stuff. But data shows that's not the case. And people who are selfish and live to serve themselves are not blessed or happy in that they have constant conflict with those closest to them. James 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? The other person, they just get their act together. No, that's not what it says says that your passions, your desires are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The reason people fight and quarrel is because of selfishness, because they are living to please themselves out of a high view of themselves, and they think what's going to make me happy is if the other person starts blessing me more rather than if I start blessing the other person more, then I will be happy. And, of course, there's always circumstances that are extreme and that require us to separate from somebody, so forth and so on. But I'm speaking generally here, just our heart attitude. Until the heart changes, until there is a humble mind and a heart to humbly serve and please others, the conflict will not substantially be resolved. However, the only way the heart can change is in understanding what Christ has done for us, is knowing his love towards us. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life is a ransom for many. Think about, you think about your life. What's the purpose of my life? Well, what do I want to accomplish in my life? We tend to think about all these things we would want to do, but think about what Christ came to accomplish. This is what his life is about. I'm going to suffer my whole life the curse for my people that's going to be culminated on the cross. And I'm going to be crushed so that they may be eternally happy. That's what our Lord did for us. And we should follow his example in that. A fourth and final motivation for humbly serving others is Christ's assurance. Christ assures his disciples in light of the difficulty that they are about ready to face. And so as an application principle for us while we may not be facing the exact same difficulties as these disciples, yet what we see here is Christ assuring us from his word that he is sovereign, that he works out all things for our good. And so in our difficulties, we can still be assured by Christ here. Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel up against me. So Christ is speaking to, uh, or is addressing all 12 of them, but he is saying that this does not apply to all 12 of them. Even though Christ chose Judas in the sense of being one of his apostles, he did not choose him for salvation. He is going to betray, Judas is going to betray Christ because of his love for money. Chapter 12. That was addressed in John's gospel. But it will not result in him being happy or blessed, but being miserable with guilt and even leading him to commit suicide. However, Christ is saying this to give his disciples assurance and hope in the midst of difficulty. Let's think about this for a moment. Step into the disciples' shoes, one of their own, one of the the twelve in their inner circle, who they thought was one of them and with them is going to betray their Lord and then go and commit suicide. That would be hard. Uh, Maybe you have had someone close to you, uh, someone who used to call themselves a a brother in Christ, a church, an office holder at a church, greatly betray you. Well, Christ gives these truths to his disciples to assure them and encourage them to press on in the midst of difficulty. First, he says that this betrayal would happen to fulfill scripture again. Verse 18. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So Christ is pointing out that the reason this terrible difficulty is going to happen is not because it's a surprise. Not because it's unexpected, not because it is for no purpose or a wrench thrown in the plan. Rather, it is the sovereign plan of God that was declared in scriptures long ago. This comes from Psalm 41, which is the psalm of David. David is writing about his personal pain and experiences when he suffered betrayal at the hand of one of his closest friends and confidants. One of his circles in his intimate circle that was at his table as a trusted friend. Uh, This man seems to be Ahithophel. He turned against David and joined David's son, Absalom, in his rebellion. And, of course, this greatly concerned David because David knew he could not out-counsel this man. But strikingly, Ahithophel ended up hanging himself like Judas did. But even though this was David's personal experience, it pointed to the distress of a greater David. This is the way that God works in history and in Scripture. He uses people and events to point to Christ and redemption in him to foreshadow these things and then has them written down through his prophets and his holy and inspired word. So this lifting up of a heel and betrayal, a figure of speech for rising up against somebody to stomp them down, points to this betrayal of Judas against Christ. And this should give the disciples great comfort in, in that this was the sovereign plan of God all along. And it wasn't darkness taking over. It wasn't some purposeless difficulty. It had a purpose. And this should encourage us in the midst of our own difficulties and struggles. That God has not lost control. The darkness is not overtaking. It's not purposeless. God is working out his perfectly wise plan for our good, which is to conform us into the image of Christ using the heat of affliction, the furnace of affliction for that purpose, not for our spiritual harm, but for our spiritual good. Uh, Think about this for a moment. It was for the disciples and our eternal good that Judas betrayed Christ so that Christ would go to the cross and be crucified so that we would be forgiven and saved from the wrath of God. Second, Christ tells them this beforehand that they may have further reason to believe him. Verse 19, I am telling you this now because now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So when Christ says this is going to happen, and it happens, they say, oh, we believe that he is the one, that that he is the great I am, God, Yahweh in human flesh, for who else can predict such things? Third, he assures them of the validity of their ministry. says in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So, when Judas is exposed as an apostle, or as an apostate, rather, it might make the apostles question their calling. When I mean, they shared the same calling with Judas, the same Lord who himself appointed them, the same ministry, declared the same gospel, he was sent out with the rest of them and preached the same gospel accurately. He performed miracles. Judas performed miracles. Judas cast out demons. Satan can do that. In fact, it says that Satan will even do that later on to, to draw people away. Ooh, you are doing signs. Ooh. But now they learned that Judas was an imposter. Could their calling and ministry therefore also be a farce? If the devil can perform this ministry, then could it even be legitimate? Is it even the truth? If you've ever had a good friend fall away from the faith, or if you had a father in the faith who led you to Christ, who mentored you fall away, then you might have this question. Now, this happened to one of my former pastors. So, Some of you uh, have listened to his podcast, so Pastor Pat Amondroth. He was led uh, to the Lord and mentored as a baby Christian by somebody who later... Denied the faith and fell away from it. Does that mean, what does that say about the faith that, that I received from this man? Well, the answer is that we don't stop with the messenger, but we look beyond him. Christ says that whoever receives the one whom he sends, receives him. And in turn, the one who Christ receives, receives the one who sent him, which is God, the Father, Christ did send out Judas with the message of the gospel, and some even received it, even though he knew Judas would betray him. And so even though Judas defected, all who received Judas' message received Christ, because it is his message, and he's the one who sends out the messenger. And so whoever receives him receives Christ himself, even though that messenger defected. And the same is true today. God sends out those who are lawfully appointed by the church. And sometimes they defect. Sometimes they apostatize. And yet it doesn't change the message if they accurately represented the message of the messenger. While messengers change and fail, the one who sent the messenger and his message is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so may we be motivated by the love of Christ, by his example, by his promised blessing. that if you do these things, you will be blessed. And by his assurance that no matter what the difficulty, he is in control and is working out all things for our good. May we be motivated by these things to love and serve one another, to not think highly of ourselves, but to consider others more important than ourselves. And may we be known as those who humbly wash one another's feet. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask indeed that you would help us be servants, not to live to serve ourselves, to avoid serving others, even doing things that are uncomfortable, thinking that we will be happy if we do that, but uh, knowing that we will be happy even Though we may have to step out of our comfort zone and serve and love others, uh, we ask that you would help us to believe these things and to trust you and to follow his example, knowing that he has so loved us, that you have loved us in your son in giving him up for us. We ask these things, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.